Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 11th. It's been busy times here at Crack Rackets. Last weekend, we were on the road in Stillwater for a fantastic Division I Women's National Indoor Championships. Of course, I will be on the road this weekend in Champaign for the men's version of the event. But there is so much great tennis going on right now throughout the world. Of course, most notably, we have our first Grand Slam of the 2021 season, and we are well aware of the fact here at Cracked Rackets, normally we go daily with our coverage of these Grand Slams. We haven't been able to do that yet, but rest assured from here on in, daily mini-break podcast breaking down the action, daily GSP Ace of the Days offering our picks for how we think it's all going to unfold, and joining me on today's podcast to catch up on what has been a fantastic first four days, first two rounds of the 2021 Australian Open is the man who filled in so admirably for me when doing our draw previews here on the Mini Break Podcast. You know him as our Crack Rackets do everything. The forefather of the forehand slice, the only undefeated coach in Missouri high school history, and that is a record, folks, that is going to stand. It's James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing so far? Appreciate it. Hey, I didn't know if you were talking about me or Maddie Stacks when filling in for you, but uh, either way, I will take the credit. It was uh, it was fun, but it's nice to have you back. No, Maddie doesn't have the creativity to hit the forehand slice. Come on, that's you through and through. Uh, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It takes a special talent, but hey, enough talking about my tennis game. Yeah, no, of course, as much as our listeners want to hear about what you've been doing on the tennis court over these past few months, most importantly, they want to hear our thoughts on these first two rounds of the Australian Open, and that's where we want to start today's podcast. Of course, the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out, because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our fantastic Patreon family, without whom, by the way, it wouldn't be possible for us to travel down to Stillwater travel to Champaign over the course of these weekends. So sincerely to all of you Patreon uh, subscribers out there, it means the world to us. Thank you so much. But of course, we also have to give a huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. If you, like Jamie McDonald, still want to get out on the court, show you've got your best stuff, go to MidwestSports.com. They've got all of the best equipment at all of the best prices. You use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. That promo code is CR15. With that in mind, Jamie, before we get granular, before we talk about any individual match, before we talk about our contenders going into the rest of this event, and believe me, folks, we're going to talk about all of those things today. I just want a brief reaction from you. Through four days of this Australian Open, your thoughts on the play have been... Well, hey, you, you prefaced this earlier before the pod that it was going to be one word. So I thought of my one word, uh, and that word is Australian. I mean, all of the drama, all of the entertainment has been from some of these Aussie players. Look, the, the Australian fans have been electric, um, particularly behind their own players, which has been so fun. But, you know, people coming up with thrilling wins like Popperin in the first round, Kyrgios. Uh, we've even seen it from players like O'Connell taking out Struff in straight sets. It's just been so much fun to watch these players um, on their home turf. And, and, and look, it, it's even more exciting because you know how much it means to them to get even one big win like that. So that's what it's been like for me. Those have been sort of the most fun watches. Uh, fun matches to watch because they involve somebody from the home country. 
I actually really like that description. I completely agree with you. And in a discussion I had, I believe it was our Dark Horses podcast we did with Abigail Johnson, which is really the only preview podcast I got to do for this Australian Open because of all the other cool things we were doing here at Cracked Rackets. I said, you know, I think these Australian players might have... I don't want to say an advantage going into this event, but certainly they had to be feeling good given that, yeah, you know, they have to go join the circumstances of the rest of the tournament, but they don't have to do the extreme quarantine. They are in a comfortable situation, a place they had been for a couple of months training and just that level of comfort. It was absolutely an advantage heading into this event. And I mean, we saw it last night in a guy in Tenasi Kakanakis who, you know, obviously we all know how talented he is when he's not struggling with injuries and when he's healthy on court. But I mean, you could see it in his first round match. You could see it last night, as you mentioned with Kyrgios. I think Sam Stozer in her first round match, Ash Barty winning 0-0 in her first match, then obviously able to win in straight sets last night as well. I completely agree with you. And I think the thing that's most exciting, as you mentioned, we have fans in the stands again. What I wouldn't give to have an Australian lifestyle right now where you can go to events and do these things and it was like, all it took was two months of sacrifice. Like, come on, uh that's a conversation for another time. I agree with you, though. I think the Australians have stood out and been exceptional. I would say for me, the term that comes to mind for this Australian Open, and yes, I'm going to stick to the rules. I did say give me one word. Is it bad if I say static? Like, have we really had a significant upset thus far through the first two rounds that blows your mind away as a tennis fan? My answer to that question would be no, and I think that's a good time for us to get into our women's upsets because certainly you look at the men's side and we'll dive deeper into that in a little bit but we still have Djokovic we still have Nadal we still have I think all of our top eight seeds you look on the women's side Jamie and obviously last night the big news Kaya Kanepi knocking off Sonia Kennan 6-3-6-2 in the second round we also lost fellow top 10 seeds Bianca Andreescu who lost in straight sets to Suwe C we lost Petra Kvitova three set loss to Serana Kirstea. We also in that first round, you know, Jess Pagula knocks off Vika Azarenka in straight sets. Those are the four most prominent seeds to have been eliminated. 12 of the top 32 seeds eliminated overall on the women's side. But Jamie, do any of those losses you see, the upsets from those top seeds, do any of them shock you? Um, I, I will say that I am surprised how Sakari went out, or Sakari, excuse me. That's um, a good one. That that one, I know she wasn't the highest seed, but I really did not expect her to lose to Mladenovich. Uh, Azarenka was a little surprising to me as well, because I thought she was going to come through that section. And then Kennan, you know, again, I'm not surprised that, you know, she didn't defend her title, but I am surprised that she was out this early. The other ones, though, no, not too surprising. Let's start with, uh, I think, the Kennan conversation. By the way, I appreciate you throwing Sakari in that mix. I would also throw Elena Rabakina in that mix because Sakari, Rabakina, two people who came into this event with such good form, and you figured the speed of these courts, particular for Elena Rabakina, that it would fit so well with her game. Unfortunately, she just ran into a better-performing Fiona Farrow, who, with her athleticism, how well she moves around the court, was just able to extend Rabakina to the outer thirds and was able to absorb her pace redirect and I just think the context of that loss that was always just going to be a really fun contrast in styles a really good matchup that's why that one doesn't shock me you're absolutely right though the Mladenovic one might be the most surprising upset just given you know we've seen the swings in Kiki Mladenovic's game so frequently of late and she dropped the set 6-0 as she seems to so frequently do uh, sometimes in these early rounds of Grand Slam events so I agree with you that was a surprising one Here's why I'm not surprised about the Sonia Kennan loss. You look at Kaya Kanepi, and obviously Kanepi, uh, you know, I think she's 35 years old, was ranked as high as number 15 in the world back in 2012, currently number 65 heading into this event. She's 23-6, and six, Jamie, since the start of last season, and a lot of those wins have come at the 25K level. You look for her in WTA uh, events. Yes, she made that final in the build-up to this, beating Alexandrova, Mukova, Sabalenka before uh, losing to Mertens, and, you know, she got the win over Sevastova in the first round, but last year... 
She got a lot of really good wins at the 25K level. She beat Zivana Revo. She beat uh, Maya Sharif, who we saw last night lose in a three-set battle. She beat, you know, uh, Darden. Just so many other... I guess the big thing is she had so many matches under her belt, particularly from October on. She's someone who kept playing through November, went down to the ITF circuit. And, you know, this was something we've talked about a bunch in our preview podcast for just in general this 2021 season. I don't want to say we're going to see regression from Sonia Kennan because that's not fair, but everything broke correctly for Sonia Kennan in 2020. A combination of health, a combination of form, a combination of also she caught a lot of people by surprise. And I just think you look at last night's result, you look at the things Kaya Kanepi did well to take it to Sonia Kennan. I mean, A, Kanepi, 28 of 35 on first serve points. She was 42 of 58 overall on serve. She also attacked the Sonia Kennan second serve. Kennan, 7 of 16 on second serve points. She wasn't able to break Kanepi at all. The biggest worry I have for Sonia Kennan is just how difficult every match is for her, right? Because she can do so many different things, but she doesn't have that standout plus one weapon. She doesn't have that overwhelming power, that way to win free, cheap points, easy throughout the course of the match. And I just think Kanepi took it to her. Like, she really struggled to hurt Kanepi in this match, which obviously is surprising, but not shocking, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, look, you're not wrong when you talk about Kennan's game in that fashion. I, I guess my counter to that is that that's not exactly a new thing. And even though, yes, you said correctly, things broke well for her last year, she's also won those difficult matches. So, you know, it's not like a fundamental change in her, her game necessarily. Um, Kennepi just played well. I, I guess the most surprising part of this is the fact that she only won five games, right? Like three and two and out. I mean, that's that is convincing. And, and so that's really where the shot comes in for me is that she's not able to at least grab a few more games and make that competitive. But I mean, regardless, I didn't even have Kennan winning her quarter. So I'm not surprised that she's not defending her title, but I am surprised she's out this early. Well, when you say, and I'm glad you framed it this way as well, she won a lot of tight matches last season. You're absolutely correct. I guess my point is, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the pendulum swings a little bit the other way this year, right? If she loses yeah. some tight matches. I guess that is my point, and to your point, I completely agree with you. She's still going to be right there throughout the course of this 2021 season. It's just, it doesn't shock me to see her lose to an informed Kanepi, who, by the way, 22 winners against 17 unforced errors compared to Kennan's 10 winners, 22 unforced errors. Kanepi had Kennan on her back foot the entirety of this match, and so, uh, yeah, for Sophia Kennan, uh, unfortunately, she is not going to be able to defend her crown, and I will say it was such a touching moment. You could see how crushed she was in the post-match press conference, brought to tears when talking about the pressures of being a defending Grand Slam champ, what that means to her, how badly she wants to go back to the winner circle and again I am not doubting Sonia Kennan if you're if you know if stock is available on Kennan you buy it because long term 10 years that thing is going to hold like apple baby um but yeah it, it, it was not shocking to see her lose this early it also wasn't shocking in another top seed we've lost who I think we should talk about Bianca Andreescu the number eight seed who's obviously making her return to the tennis court uh, here in Australia for the first time in a year in her first match three set win for her over Booz and Rescue unfortunately in the second round Suwe C using her variety just you know keeping Andreescu out of her strike zone breaking that Andreescu rhythm 6-3 6-2 win for C I think it's it would it would be unfair to expect Bianca Andreescu to take a year off from professional tennis, get right back in the winner's circle. That being said, you surprised at all to see her exit in the second round? No, not really. You know, I when Matt and I talked, we said you know we just didn't know what Andreescu was was going to do, so it wouldn't surprise us uh, if she did exit earlier. Now, I mean, second round, you know, I don't, it's whatever that just kind of, at that point, it depends how the draw breaks, but especially after she barely got through that first round match and it was a tight one, um, you know, you, you kind of tell she's not at that peak level, which is understandable, right? She hasn't been back in a long time. So I wasn't expecting the world of her, but particularly after you saw her in action in round one, it was like, yeah, okay. It's, it, it's a matter of time uh, before she's lim- eliminated from this tournament. No, that first match against Boost and Rescue, I thought it was particularly impressive. She made 64% of her first serves, won 79% of the first serve points, 65% of her second serve points, was 15 of 17 at the net, hit 27 winners. 
But she also had 34 unforced errors, and in particular, I think those unforced errors came in that second set, and... You know, you could just tell physically Andrescu, like, midway through that second set, she hit a little bit of a wall where it was kind of like, okay, the adrenaline's worn off, I've played an hour of tennis, now I'm starting to feel it a little bit. And there was just a little bit of sloppiness, right? You hit that swinging volley for her and her ability to move forward and be athletic, be aggressive, and show off a variety of attacking shots. That's her calling card. And, you know, again, those things started to misfire a little bit later in the match as her legs uh, sort of abandoned her. And then, yeah, Sue AC is just going to throw slice at you, drop shot, all of this junk ball to make you uncomfortable. She's also going to take returns early, jump on you, and take time away. And I mean, in the match, Andrescu goes 6 of 23 on second serve points. No stat, perhaps, is a better manifestation of a year off from professional tennis than going 6 of 23 on your second serve points. And so, again, I think long-term, Andrescu comes back on the court. What we saw this weekend, it's like, okay, yep, all of the skills are there. Just give her three months of competition to get back in shape. But she does need that three-month buffer in my opinion. I don't think, given how good some of these other women are right now at the top of the game, she's not quite ready yet to win Grand Slams. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, look, what we saw from her in the past was phenomenal, but you know, you, you don't just come back from injuries overnight. And, and I think that's part of this process. And um, like, again, she's not going to be fine. I don't think we need to make any sweeping declarations about her or her game, uh, but she'll be back. She'll be back. No, completely agree with you there. Well, then again, uh, to just run through the rest of the upsets, the 12 seeds eliminated are Kennan, Andrescu, Kvitova, Azarenka, Kanta, Martic, Rabakina, Sakari, uh, Angelique Kerber, Ali Risk. Uh, we've got Wang. We've got Zhang as well. So those are all of your 12 seeds eliminated. And again, Kvitova, Azarenka, surprising, but... Definitely not shocking. I mean, when you, I feel like we still have all of our biggest contenders still available here heading into round two, uh, round three. Yeah, no, I look, I, at this point on the women's side in a women's grand slam, can I ever see us, can I ever say that a seed going out is surprising anymore or shocking? I don't know. Uh, but Azarenka was pretty close. I did expect her to do pretty well and make a deep run. So that one was a little shocking to see, but you know, again, it's, it's a WTA uh, main draw of a, of a slam. This this is what happens. Yeah, no, and I mean, Jess Pegula has been balling of late. I think when yeah. you look her last 52, she's like 14-7. and seven. She was so great during world team tennis, and it's not surprising for me to see her on a fast hard court as well have this sort of success. She had it at the Western and Southern Open last year when those courts were playing quickly, so again, uh, and then and the U.S. Open, so no surprise uh, to see her advance, uh, and then she won, I think, 0-1 over Stozer yesterday, so yeah, obviously it wasn't just one good match. She's playing some really, really important impressive tennis right now uh, here in this Australian Open. Let's switch gears now and talk about the men because, again, we've had uh, upsets on the men's side as well. None of our top 10 seeds eliminated thus far. I suppose number uh, 10 seed, Gael Monfils, was eliminated. He lost a five-set match to Emil Roussevori in the first round. Your other nine seeds eliminated, Roberto Bautista Agut, who got knocked out by Radu Elbot, David Goffin losing a five-set match to Alexi Paparin, Stavon Wawrinka had match points, ultimately loses his match in five sets to Martin Fucevic, then Borna Chorch, knocked out by Mackie McDonald, Benoit Pair, knocked off by Jerzyma Hercats, a five-set loss to Mikhail Yimmer. You also had Kyrgios knocking off Umber, you had Nori knocking off Dan Evans, and then yesterday Feliciano Lopez, a five-set win over number 31 seed Lorenzo Sinego. Jamie, of those 10 seeds, any of those particularly surprising to you um not terribly um i mean i, I think benoit perry was a seed and his odds were like plus 480 to win um so i mean let's 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 not pretend anybody was surprised there now given the context benoit pair absolutely could have won this match he served for the third set and probably would have been okay but Regardless of that, I mean, Fucevic can't really surprise me anymore. He's done this so many times where he comes up with a big win and an upset um, in a main draw of a slam. So not terribly surprising there. Again, giving context, Wawrinka did have multiple match points, especially toward the end of that uh, fifth set tiebreak and just couldn't get it done. So no, none of these are terribly surprising to me. Chorich, it was a 22 seed. I mean, I, I like that matchup for Mackey. Did I expect the upset? Not necessarily, but it doesn't surprise me now. 
I think my favorite part of your men's preview, other than listening to your intro, obviously, was when you and Maddie were talking about Fuchovic, and it's just like, it would be weirder if he didn't beat a seed in a Grand Slam at this point than if yeah. he did beat a seed, and, you know, it did, Stan Wawrinka just got so passive on those match points, right? It was, yeah. it was horrifying, because it was his aggression that got him back into the match, and you could just kind of tell, what was it, 9-6, I think, in that breaker. Now, only one of them ended up being on the serve of Stan Wawrinka, but just, you know, he was on his back foot for his back, and he had these opportunities to move forward, and you could just tell he didn't want to because Fuchovic had been so dangerous on the run, and that is Marton Fuchovic's game. I mean, talk about a beautiful—it's really—Martin Fuchovic plays a beautiful game style, his contact point country club-esque, but yeah, that was just a really high-quality match. I also thought, you know, again, going back to the first round, Emil Rusevori— he outplayed Gael Monfils. Monfils didn't have the weapons to stretch Rusevori to the outer thirds of the court. Rusevori was controlling the pace of play. He was dictating with his ground strokes. Now, unfortunately for him, that match did physically wear him down to the point where he ended up losing a second-round match. He probably should have won against Pedro Martinez-Portero, but... You know, Monfils has struggled a lot of late. He was so good at the start of 2020, and then ever since the pandemic hit, just hasn't quite found his form. He's another player who was definitely emotional in his post-match press conference, talking about, you know, he knows his opportunities are fewer and fewer as the years go on. And uh, I thought that was a really good win from Rusevori. I think the match we have to spend a little time talking about, though, Nick Kyrgios, five-set win over Ugo Umber. He wins that match 5-7-6-4-3-6-7-6-6-4. He fights off two match points to get the victory as well. And, you know, you start to look at the stats from this match. Kyrgios, of course, the calling card is always going to be the first serve and what he can do with his forehand. And, look, he obviously had a ton of success on the first serve uh, in this match. He wins 80% of his first serve points, 83 of 104. He made 68% of his first serve, 65 winners against 43 unforced errors. Yet for me, the thing that stood out, Jamie, how good he is on the move. Like, you want to know why Nick Kyrgios remains so captivating, why regardless of anything he's doing off the court, if it pisses you off or not, why we're going to keep talking about him is because when he's healthy on the court, committed it's as impressive as any player in men's tennis yeah i mean look he's been very very fun to watch for a very long time now and i think you know he can be very he can be frustrating too because as soon as you see a great result from him you you begin to expect that level and maybe he doesn't perform to it and is that unfair perhaps uh, but I think for me, yes, this is a great win, and I don't think you can take anything away from him because, you know, Umber has been a guy who has had a really, really just solid level. My problem, though, is that with the talent and level that Kyrgios can display, to me, this win just isn't – I mean, barely squeaking through this match just isn't good enough for me at this point because we know that Kyrgios can show – could have this result regardless of the name on the other side. It could be someone who's far worse than Umber. It could be Djokovic. And this scoreline, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, right? We've seen this guy take out the best in the world. And, and so sometimes it's a little hard for me to get behind the Kyrgios train long term because it's like, well, okay, if I see this, what is that result going to look like next tournament and next tournament? But, you know, staying within the confines of this conversation, yes phenomenal stuff he is so electric on the run you see him pull off ridiculous shots and and everybody loves him especially in the Australian Open uh, sort of setting when I say everyone loves him you know I take that with a grain of salt because there are some people who will take to tennis Twitter and, and criticize him but all the Aussie fans rather that are there um, they love the guy you know he, he's absolutely so much fun and, and so lucky Kyrgios, he's always going to be a great thing for the sport, in my opinion. Again, some people might criticize him. I think he's great for the sport. He does a lot, a lot of fun things. He's electric. He's intense. But at the end of the day, I just need to see these sort of results consistent over time and with the bigger names because barely squeaking out wins over Umber is just not going to do it for me. Yeah, and look, there's been some press room, I suppose, back and forth between Djokovic and Kyrgios throughout the course of this event. I don't really care about that. More than anything else, it's just kind of entertaining to me. But to push back a little bit, Ugo Umber has been stellar 
during these past four months. And I think for Nick Kyrgios to not play any matches since Australia last season, to come back, get this win in five sets, fight off a couple of match points, the backhand pass he hit on the second match point, Umber hits a backhand slice approach shot, Kyrgios beats him to the spot, passes him cross court. That's the Nick Kyrgios you love to see. And I mean, to Umber's credit, he made 69% of his first serves. He won 78% of his first serve points. He hit 72 winners compared to 39 unforced errors in this match. And some of that is, of course, the Nick Kyrgios experience where, hey, if you're up 40-love in a game, congratulations, you've won the game. All you got to do is make that plus one shot and you're going to win this game. Um, And, you know, so of course those stats a little bit lopsided. It's not a direct indication of what happened, but... Umber played really well in this match. There's probably a shot or two he wants back, but I think it's a testament to Kyrgios. 65 winners against 43 unforced errors and 20 of 32 at the net. When he plays his aggressive brand of tennis, to your point, it can overwhelm any opponent. And I think it's actually pretty encouraging to see he can show up after a year of not playing and still beat one of the hottest young players on tour in Ugo Umber. Like, to me, that's actually a huge win for him. And I, you know, he plays Dominic Team tonight in a third round match. He, of course, has the weapons to hurt Dominic Team, but the kiss of death when playing Dominic Team is having dead legs. But, you know, even if he doesn't win this match against Team, I think if you're curious, you come out of this Australian Open and you think to yourself, yep, I still got it. Yeah, look, I, I think so. I guess my problem with that is that. Kyrgios is a guy who has beat people like Nadal, Fed, Djokovic multiple times. You know, we're talking different leagues here. And I understand with the context of not playing in, in you know, certain competitions for a long time. I get that. But also, this was an issue of barely squeaking out wins over you know, a lesser tier player than those top five for a long time. This has been an issue for years. So to me, it's not really an excuse at this point. Now, yeah, if he comes out here and beats team, I mean, that's phenomenal. But here's my thing. Exactly with, I think we can agree that team is just a notch above, if not a couple notches above someone like an Ugo Bear. Can yeah, we agree there? No. Can we agree there? So, so where we're going to agree is... No, just let is, me, just, can you just say yeah or no? Well, no, I can't just say yes or no. Because where I'm going to say we agree is that Nick Kyrgios should not be in a position at this point of his career where he has to play Ugo on bare second round. If that's the point you're making, I very much agree with you. Like there's, yeah, that that is true. But I'm saying right now, can we just for the sake, so I can continue this, team <laughs> notch or two above Umber, right? Those are not the same player. Oh, same oh, level. oh, very, very true. Yes. Yeah. So here's my point. If he comes out and has a scoreline like this, or barely loses, say he loses this fifth set six or four six to team, we wouldn't be surprised. And so that's my thing is if he can put up the same scoreline across the board, he needs. I need to see him not play to the level of his opponent, and need to be like those top guys who go out and dust people in the first couple of rounds, like a team, like a Nadal. I mean, go look at their scorelines; it's ridiculous. Like he has that level of talent, and we know this because he can beat those top guys. I need to see that sort of separation from players in the middle, lower tiers before I can entertain the the, the long-term conversations about what it looks like for him. No, I completely agree with you there, and I think that's a good place to leave our conversation on Kyrgios. Again, you look at some of the other upsets, Jamie Hercots. A little disappointing, but Mikhail Yimmer's playing some good ball. Ditto with Cam Norrie over Dan Evans, although I'm sure if you're Evans, you just won your first ATP title last week. You're thinking, I can make further than the first round to follow that up. Unfortunately, Cam Norrie just playing too well. But overall, 10 seeds eliminated. You know, there's always the world where Stan Wawrinka knocks off a Djokovic or a Nadal. We all keep that in our heads, right? Because we are, he's one of the few players we've seen actually do it at a Grand Slam. But I, I continue to say... I don't think we've lost too many significant players here in this uh, through the first two rounds. Yeah, I mean, I think some people like a Batista Agut, you're like, oh, you expect to see him in the quarters of a hardcore major. Um, so it was a little surprising to, to watch him go out very, very early. But yeah, for the most part, all of our main players still in the draw. Yeah, and again, uh, we should give a shout-out. By the way, Mackie McDonald played some stellar tennis last night, was playing really, really, really well, and so that was a great win for him, even though Borna Chorch was a bit banged up. Let's move on now to some of the close matches we've seen. Not necessarily upsets, but matches that have gone the distance. And by the way, thus far on the women's side, 26 of the 96 main draw matches played have gone three sets. That's 27.1% for the men. 17 of 96 
have gone five sets. That's 17.7%. That number feels pretty, pretty juicy, Jamie. We'll start with the women, though. Halep versus Tomjanovic going three, that surprised me a little bit. But, you know, more than anything else, we talk about the parody all of the time. What this number, 26 of 96, reflects to me is just, yeah, like these matchups between top 50 women are toss-ups. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and not only is it a normal thing that we see on the women's side, but also, I mean, the fact that not all of these players are necessarily in their best match form. They probably would have preferred to play more leading up to this. They've been in odd situations. And, and so that just adds another factor into this that can make matches tighter than they would be normally. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's not surprising to see this. And, and Halep sometimes falls into that zone where you talked about with Kennan, where if she plays against somebody who's playing well, hard for her to just win points easily. That can make things, um, you know, a little less separated. But, yeah, I mean, look, ultimately, most of the time, the better players have come out on top here, which is, is what we expect. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think a perfect example of that is a match like Halep. Yeah, I think the two, uh, some of the players who have stood up, Belinda Bencic, who was another one of those players who didn't play at all in 2020, and she's gotten two three-set wins over Lauren Davis, over Svetlana Kuznetsova. Those wins won't blow you out of the water, but that's sort of the, you know, I need to beat this player to get to the third round, the fourth round stage of a Grand Slam, and just to see Bencic do that again, that's two really good wins for her. Also want to give a shout-out to Yulia Putinseva, who literally had a hotel room with a rat in it for part of her two-week quarantine for her to get three set wins over Sloane Stevens, then over Ali Van Utvenik, who on these fast hard courts posed two very different challenges. I thought that's two good wins for Putinseva. You know, I, I, again, I think overall it was a good sign that when Fiona Farrow beat uh, Sinyakova in three sets in the first round, it, she, it required some really good tennis, so it shouldn't shock anyone that she ended up going, you know, and knocking off Elena Rabakina the next round. But yeah, I agree with you. More than anything, it's indicative of the really high level of tennis. And when you look at the men's matches that have gone the distance, Jamie, I think perhaps the match of the tournament on the men's side thus far may have been that first round matchup we saw. But between Shapovalov and Sinner, and you have to wonder, had Sinner not played the turn, you know, won his second ATP title the week before and had to have a Monday start against Shapovalov, does he have a little bit more legs in the tank in that fifth set? Is he able to pull this match off? Because I'm telling you this right now, if Sinner Shapovalov are going to play 20 more times throughout the course of their careers, sign me up for that immediately. That, to me, was my favorite men's match of this event. Yeah, look, I think that's a I think that's a good pick. I think there are some other five setters that to deserve mention in there. Although it was crushing, the Vavrinka Fuchovic match was a very good one. Um, you know, I think last night we saw Sitsipas and Kakanakis was another great match. Um, so I look, there have been some phenomenal five setters, and this is uh, matches like these are always why I will continue to to, to fight for the five set um, because it, it just it, it draws something into the game that, that would be lost without it. But no, I mean there have been some great matches, um, and looking forward to to some more five setters as we move through this tournament. You know, it wasn't a great match. You know, it was one you probably could have stopped at the third set breaker, Fritz Opelka. Like, with all due respect, like, come on. Wasn't exactly the most uh, creative uh, point constructions from either of those guys. Of course, it was still bludgeoning power tennis, but... You know, case in point to your to what you're saying about the fifth set and to what you said earlier about the crowd, can we do two seconds on Kakanakis versus Tsitsipas? Because that match last night was absolutely electric. And I think Tanasi Kakanakis, given his story, he's always going to, you know, draw a healthy crowd and he's always going to uh, evoke a, a strong reaction from uh, the Australian faithful, who, of course, are looking for the next great Australian champion. But for Kokonakis, I mean, his first serve last night it, it's unbelievable. His serve plus one forehand as well. He won 72% of his first serve points, hit 58 winners during the course of the match. And yet for Tsitsipas, 63% first serve percentage. He won 86% of his first serve points. He hit 78 winners against only 46 unforced errors, 24 of 32 at the net. I thought this match going five sets had more to do with how good Tanasi Kokonakis was on serve than any poor performance from Tsitsipas. I thought Tsitsipas actually played pretty dang well last night, and I just thought Kokonakis matched him. And all I could think is, God, like if we could get a healthy Kokonakis, that's a guy who has top 50 talent. 
Oh, definitely. And, and I would say even higher than that. I mean, the, the level last night was really impressive. And no, it, this, this wasn't against Tsitsipas. Um, you know, I, I think the greatest evidence uh, of that is in the fourth set. And sure, did Tsitsipas, you know, not play his cleanest? Yes, perhaps. But the fact that Kakanakis comes back after losing that third 6-1, bounces right back and gets the fourth to a tiebreak, um, that shows something special. And, and that shows that he's still got a lot of fight. And yes, yeah, Sitsipas ends up winning it in the fifth. But, um, you know, I, at that point, I was expecting Sitsipas to come up with, you know, like a 6-2 fourth set and, and just finish that thing out. So tons of credit to Kakanakis. I mean, and, and, look, and look, he's got the Aussie fans behind him. That's a very tough setting for Sitsipas to be in. But, you know, I, I think his past experience at this tournament and making deep runs uh, has helped him. And and so, look, any of these Aussies um, are, are going to come in with a bit uh, more of an edge than they would normally have because they know the crowd's going to be behind it, going to be behind them and they're going to be in that atmosphere. But no, this was a great match, hands down. And, and yeah, Cindy honestly, at this point, you know, he's feeling, like, he's feeling like he escaped because Kakanakis could have won this match. Um, granted, the, the matches that actually were, or the, excuse me, the sets that were separated by a break, not surprisingly, Sitsipas took care of those. But Kakanakis, I mean, with his serve, like you mentioned, he's able to get to a lot of tie breaks. And, and then from there, I mean, it's a crapshoot. So it, it was a really fun match to watch. I don't know if I'd call it my match of the tournament, but a really good one in the top five for sure. No, for sure. Again, Sidner Shapovalov, my match of the tournament. I mean, those guys were playing such incredible power tennis, and you looked at the stats for Shapovalov versus Sinner. I think Shapovalov hit like 62 winners against 71 unforced errors and was just gunning for everything, and it was absolutely delightful. But, you know, for this Tsitsipas match, to your point, I think given how he lost that five-set match to Chorch at the U.S. Open and how he lost the five-set match to Djokovic, at the French Open, that he seemed in control of this match, despite it going five sets the entire time. That he got that early break in the third set or in the second set. That he got that early break uh, in the fifth set as well, and just kind of cruised from there. And then physically, I just thought you could. I've never seen Stefano Tsitsipas look so impressive physically compared to his opponent, and some of that has to do with just the lack of tennis Kokonakis has played, but. I thought Tsitsipas looked really, really good last night. To your point, I thought he played plus one tennis. He was in control from start to finish. Kokonakis just, it's tough to break his serve. I mean, what? Tsitsipas, listen to these numbers. Kokonakis, 0 of 3 on breakpoint chances for the match. Tsitsipas, 5 of 22. That's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean yeah, that, that tells you something right there. Yeah, absolutely. And so, again, Tsitsipas advances with the five-set win. Uh, the other five-setter on the night that produced a little bit of drama, Fabio Fognini taking on Salvatore Caruso. I want to read the exchange, the translation in English between the two of them at the end of the match because, uh, you know, it doesn't get pr- uh, much funnier than this. And by the way, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it essentially goes, Fognini, you have been f- lucky you should apologize uh, I didn't disrespect you until now Caruso what are you talking about Fognini you won four identical lucky points Caruso what are you talking about Fognini can't I say you have been lucky Caruso I didn't dare to say a single word in the whole match and it just went off from there I mean that's peak Italian tennis right I think Jerry Nathan tweeted this out when you're dreaming about the ideal ending for an Italian tennis match, it's Fognini storming off the court in a vicious argument, yelling Italian at his opponent. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. Good fireworks to end that one. I remember when you sent me that the transcript. I <laughs> I had to, I had to ask if they were having that argument in English or if that was just a <laughs> translation because it would have been a hundred times funnier if they both stayed and were speaking in English to have that argument. But no, of course it was in their native tongue, which makes, makes way more sense. And, and yeah, look, it was a fitting into that one. Um, you know, again, you can kind of tell Fognini, you know, he's always going to be fiery. He's always going to be instigating stuff like that. So nobody's surprised, but yeah, classic stuff. And look, he comes out of there with, on top with what a 14, 12 win in the end. So it was, it was very, very close and he's got to be feeling lucky to have escaped. So why are you breaking my balls now? I said you have been lucky. If I'm wrong saying it, I'm wrong. Don't attack me. Like, that's just, that's peak Fabio. 
that's, yeah, that's Pete Fabio. That's absolutely delightful. I agree. And again, those are your five set matches, 17 of them thus far on the men's side. And with that in mind, again, uh, we're not going to granularly break down every match. We will bring down our match breakdowns as we start breaking down this tournament day by day, as opposed to doing them in lumps of round by round. But I do have some broader questions, Jamie, I want to talk about before we get into our day five preview and wrap today's podcast, just to again, summarize where we are at here heading into the third round of this Australian Open. I want to start with our most impressive players. I'm going to list the names to you by category. You let me know uh, what you think here. We'll start with the women. I say our most impressive women thus far, are, or I guess we'll start with in terms of the tiers of who we think are our favorites entering the second week because this is sort of an overlap of who's been most impressive. On the women's side, I have two players who have stood out, stood out above the field and I think are pretty clearly the two front runners to win this Grand Slam, and that's number one seed Ashley Barty and number three seed Naomi Osaka. Now, Barty got tested yesterday against Gavrilova, ended up winning in straights one in six, and then the 0-0 win in her first-round match. Osaka continues to look better and better. Straight set match in round one, straight set win over Caroline Garcia in round two. I have those two on a tier by themselves. Would you agree with that, or would you add anyone else to the mix as a top-tier favorite entering round three? Well, listen, you know this if uh, if you listen to the, the women's preview, but I did pick Muguruza to win, so I'm putting her up there. Um, and look, she's lost a combined eight games in her two matches thus far, and, and so to me, she deserves to be in that category. Um, she's been at the top of the game. She knows how to win. And she has looked really, really solid. So, no, I, I, I would throw Muguruza at that top list as well. So, I have her as the best of the rest. She is in that, like, tier number three for me in that – or tier number three, excuse me, top of tier number two. And, you know, to your point, you talked about what Muguruza has done thus far. The number 14 seed beats Samsonova 3-1 and one in the second round. That was after she defeated Gasparian, I think, 4-0 in her first round match. So – yeah, she's been pretty damn dominant thus far, and she was, what, the semifinalist here last year? Was it the finalist before losing to Kennan in the finals? I think she was the finalist before losing to Kennan in last year's final. That's a really good pick, and I think it's fair to throw her in that top tier. Now, I still consider her kind of in that... Serena, you know, the other people I have in tier two, and I have, I think, in total seven names right now who I think can still win this event, seven out of 32, really hedging my bets there. But Muguruza, Serena, Sabalenka, Halep, and then I threw Sviantek and Pliskova in there as well, uh, just on the outskirts. Those are, I guess, the eight names I'm kind of circling. Now that I say it like that, you're right. I probably would put Muguruza closer to that top tier than I would that second group. Am I missing anyone? Um, I mean, that's, that's more of an opinion field. question, but <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, I mean, I'm, I'm fine having my top tier as Bardio, Soccer, Muguruza, and, and the rest below. Yeah, I, I wouldn't throw Serena in there. Sabalenka, she got pushed in that first set, but she probably belongs on the fringes of that conversation. I feel like we deserve, I mean, of course, the moment we do this, we're going to curse her to lose her third round match, but Pliskova, 5-2 and two over Danielle Collins and 0-2 oh over Paolini. The moment you count Carolina Pliskova out is when she plays her best tennis. She has played really good tennis through the first two days, and that's not often the case, right? I feel like if we can get Pliskova to the second week, then some fun things could happen. Yeah, definitely. Just just leave her out of the conversation, and, and she'll start performing pretty well. Yeah, that's the only time we're going to mention her here, uh, I promise, on this uh, podcast throughout the course of the tournament unless she wins the thing. All right, let's flip gears, talk about the men's side. I'm going to be honest. I have one name in my top tier. That's Novak Djokovic. Given what we saw at the ATP Cup, given what we saw just through his first couple of matches, I just think he still has that gear where on a hard court he can just do better than anyone else can. Now, the other guys I have if in that second tier, Nadal, Team, Medvedev, Rublev, below them, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Berrettini. I do think right now it's Djokovic's tournament to lose, and I know he dropped a set against Tiafo, but that had more to do with Francis Tiafo than it did with Novak Djokovic, in my opinion. Do you agree with that, or is there someone you would put up in that top tier with Djokovic? 
Yeah, actually, I, I think I would make the top tier a little bigger. Um, you know, you mentioned, yes, Tiafo played very well, but, you know, look at some of these guys like Nadal who are just cruising through people. And, and yeah, that's what Nadal does at the beginning of majors. And, and we've seen this where Djokovic drops sort of a, a surprising set in one of these matches and then goes on and, and does just fine uh, in a tournament. So I'm not concerned with him by any means, but I, I think right now it's deserved to have four names in that top. Um, and it's Nadal, it's team. It's Medvedev and it's Djokovic. And if again, if you listen to my men's pod, I, I, I'll, I'll stick by my word. Give me Medvedev to win the thing. So I got to have him in my top list. But no, I, I think those four names at the top are fine. Um, and then obviously there, there's a considerable drop after that for me. So to that point, is there a reason you don't have Rublev in that grouping with Medvedev? Because Rublev straight set wins, I believe, in her, his first two matches thus far over Montiero and then in his first match over Hanifman. And, you know, I know he hasn't been to a Grand Slam final the way the other four guys you mentioned have. Is that the only reason he's not in that top tier? Because, again, I would say Rublev... I agree with you. He's not in the top tier, but I wouldn't say there's a big gap between him and the rest. I mean, I think if you look at the body of work of those four players versus a Rublev, you, you know, there's there's really no comparison. So I think that's probably why for me. And, and you know, yeah, sure, he's come up with a couple straight set wins, but, you know, I would be very shocked if he lost a set to either of those guys. And he won a tiebreak set 10-8 to, to take out Montero. So I Again, I'm not exactly like, wow, watch out for Rublev. Yeah, he can be incredibly dangerous and he can make a deep run in this, but I, I don't I don't put him in that top category, no. See, that's where I disagree. I think the fact that he's one in straight sets and taking care of business, that's exactly what we want to see from him. And so I agree. He's not top tier, but he is very much second tier. Like if it's not going to be one of those four guys you mentioned, he is at the head of the conversation of the rest of the pack. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's in that second tier, but that's he's not in the top tier. Yeah, it, but I'm saying I don't think – yeah. no, but I'm saying I don't think the gap is as big between the top tier and the second Got tier it. is what I'm trying to say. But Got yes, it. no, 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 that's fair. It's, it's fair to not include him in the list with the rest of the guys. Again, uh, I think on the margins, those are certainly your favorites still, and we have all of our favorites intact. Uh, Definitely on the men's side, pretty much so on the women's side as well. Let's talk about the author side, the most disappointing uh, performances thus far. I have two men, two women I would single out in particular, and we talked about them a little bit earlier. For the women, I would say it's Rabakina, Sakari, uh, just, you know, again, Kennan probably disappointing as well, but Kanepi's just playing really, really well. I thought Rabakina, Sakari, they lost very winnable matches. And then for the men, it's Hercots and RBA. I mean, Mikhail Yimmer, Radu Elbot, they're good, but they shouldn't be beating Hercots and RBA in a five-set match on a hard court. Those would be my biggest disappointments. Anyone you would add or any comments on that list? Um, on the women's side, definitely Azarenka goes on that list for me. Um, I, I think she had a real chance with the section of, of her draw to, to get through, but, um, you know, loses first round instead. And again, uh, lost to a worthy adversary. Pegula has looked really good, but still just not great. And, and I agree. Um, having Sakari on there, absolutely. On the men's side, ah, her catch isn't the top of my list. Batista Agut, yeah, that one that one is a little bit disappointing for me. Um, you look at the seeds, and yeah, maybe it's not surprising to see Gofen and Monfils go out, but it, it, it still it still hurts me a little bit. Um, I would say, honestly, the one, and, and this is just because of the fashion in which he went out, is, is Tennis Sandgren. Um, you know, a, a guy who has had success at the Australian Open, who is very dangerous on a hard court, uh, you know, loses 5-1-1 one, and one to Damon Hour. And, and look, Alex Damon Hour, a guy we have not talked about, has looked so solid. He's kind of doing the things that I want from Kyrgios, where he's beating, you know, these good sort of middle tier players soundly. That's sort of what I want. And he's doing that. So great shout out to him. But I would probably add Tennis Sander into the list just because of the fashion in which he lost. I think that is a very fair inclusion. I Yes, those second two sets, he's better than that. Just yeah. like he is too physically gifted to lose those sets in that fashion. And yeah, I also think it's good to give the shout-out to Demon Hour, who has played really well. I'm telling you, if he's healthy, just pencil him into the quarterfinal of every hardcore tournament. Doesn't yeah. matter the level, just pencil him in. Um, yeah, those would be the disappointments. In terms of the least surprising exits, which we kind of talked about earlier as well. I have Kennan, Andrescu, Risk, and Kerber all on my list. I'm just not that surprised to see them eliminated through the first two rounds for the men. Benoit Pair, you pencil that in. Vasilashvili, you pencil that in. And then I have to say, given their recent form, I'm not that shocked Monfils and Goffin 
aren't going to be a part of the second week of the Grand Slam. Is that a fair list for the least surprising? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think, you know, for me, maybe including Kennan is a little unfair just because, well, not even unfair, but just I, I probably wouldn't include her just because of how early she um, ha- has been removed from the tournament. But yeah, I mean, again, as we've said multiple times, I didn't expect her to, to defend her title or even win her quarter. But going out this early is a little surprising to me, I will say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's completely fair. Well, then the last one, let's end on a bright spot here to recap the last two days. The most impressive players. We'll start with the women. In my contenders category, Barty, Osaka, Muguruza, Pliskova, Serena. Those are my five most impressive contenders. Fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, again, my, my favoritism for Muguruza shining through here. But, yeah, I, you know, absolutely <laughs> no. she's got to be on that list. She's on the list. All right, the dark horses that have impressed me the most. Kaya Kanepi with her win over Sonia Kennan, and then Fiona Farrow. Two really good wins for her. Obviously, in her first-round match, Farrow uh, gets a three-set win over Sinyakova, and then the straight-set win over Rabakina. That's as as good two wins as any player in the tournament thus far. Yeah, and I think the only one I'd add is Pegula. I think she deserves yep. to be on that list. Well, I'm glad you say that because I have a whole category called the American women. Serena, Pegula, Shelby Rogers, Jennifer Brady, and then perhaps a player who we did not talk nearly enough about, talented young American Ann Lee, who just seems to be blitzing her way into the top 50 of the WTA rankings. I thought just in general to have five of the last 32, the American women have been stellar. Yeah, they've looked really good, and, and it's great to see them sort of advance through the draw. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, as they do, some of them have to, to knock out one another like Brady and Bringle. But yeah, I mean, it, it's been a really, really solid crowd from the American women, so that's good to see. And I love the diversity in generation as well. You've got Serena at the top, Pagula, Rogers, Brady all in the midst of their primes, and then Ann Lee on the come up as well. So certainly, if you're a fan of American women's tennis, it's been a good first four days. On the men's side, my top contenders, Nadal, Medvedev, Team, Rublev. They've all been my most impressive. Am I missing anyone? Um, I mean, I feel like you can always add a name in there for a good win. Uh, but no, I mean, look, team has been the one that stands out to me just because, you know, at the beginning of majors like this, you know, he didn't look the best in ATP cup. I I was a little shaky on team and was worried. It might be, you know, looking for another really early exit, but, uh, he, he is, he has come out looking very, very good. Obviously he has a huge test in Nick Kyrgios now, uh, but Dominic team has looked really good. And so for me, that's been the most uh, impressive just given the context of, of how we entered the tournament thousand percent agree with you nick Kyrgios also on my list of most impressive yes mm, fair I, I think honestly the more deserving one here is one that i mentioned earlier alex damonauer i think he deserves to be on this list just the way in which he's won and conducted himself has been very very impressive totally down to make a switch there well then the dark horses i've enjoyed the most mikhail yimmer uh knocks off rusevori knocks off hubi hercots he's into his first third round pedro martinez portero who you guys know was one of my dark horse picks at the french open 27 and 10 now in his last 52 weeks he reaches another grand slam third round really excellent performance for him uh over rusevori and then aslan karatsev who won a match 0-1-0, Jamie, at this Australian Open over Igor Gerasimov. You look for him in his last 52 weeks. Uh, Karatsev, 34-7 now. A lot of those results, in fact, the majority of them, I think, coming on hard courts of late, although he did have a pretty good clay court season last year. I might have Schwartzman on upset alert, Jamie. I mean, you look for Karatsev, the big first serve. He's won 76.4% of his first serve points over the course of his last 52 weeks. He's been making about 60% of those first serves on average, but as of late has been in that 65% range. I think he has been stellar. Those would be the three dark horses who have impressed me the most. Is that a good list? Yeah, that's that's solid. And look, if you're going to you know try and pick an upset here, uh, Karatsev Schwartzman's not bad. Now, look, Schwartzman has looked pretty solid, I will say. He has looked good. Uh, he did drop a set to, what was it, the other Yimmer, I believe. Um, and so, you know, maybe not perfect form, but in his second round, I mean, he completely took care of business, dropped five games. So he... I'm ready to pick that one, but if you had to pick an upset, this is for sure got to be on the list. Yeah, I think they're all, uh, again, they've all played so well. They're all in the third round for a reason. The last category I have, and it hurts because there are neighbors up north, yet they seem to be doing something just particularly right, 
It's the Canadians. In Shapovalov, F.A., Rayonich, three players all in the third round, and three players who, if they were, you know, if two of them weren't playing each other, you feel could all advance to the quarterfinals of this event. I think the Canadian men look stellar here on the hard courts to start the season. Helps that we're playing on fast hard courts as well. But the Canadians, to me, big winners through the first two days. Yeah, oh, right. absolutely agree. And now Shapo and FAA are getting to go at it. And added bonus, too, I don't know if you saw this, but um, Vasek Pospisil uh, and Shapo are playing dubs together. And so they get to face off in, in a fun match, those two against the Americans and Nick Monroe and uh, Francis Tiafo. So, look, it, it's a lot of fun. Yes, the Canadians have a lot to be happy about. On the women's side, you know, not as much with Andrescu going out so early. But on the men's side, plenty of bright spots and things to, to be really excited about in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Denis Shapovalov versus FAA, that feels like a perfect segue to the final thing we want to do here on today's podcast. That, of course, is preview tonight's action, Day 5, getting underway here on Thursday night on the East Coast of the United States. Of course, that's Friday over in Australia. And we've got eight uh, round of 32 matches for both the men and women for us to enjoy. Should be a really high level of tennis. Let's start with that men's match between FAA and Shapovalov. I think we can both agree uh, pretty uh, – well, there are a lot of good matches on the day, but, uh, you know, it doesn't get much better than the two young Canadians going head-to-head, of course. This will be the fifth matchup in their career. Shapovalov, 3-1 and one head-to-head in their pro encounters. Of course, these two grow up with each other. There are no secrets in between their games. Uh, this is going to be their third matchup at a Grand Slam. Shapovalov, 2-0 and oh on those two occasions. The last time they played was August of 2019 when Shapovalov knocked off a seeded FAA 6-1-6-1-6-4. Jamie, when you look at this match, A, your thoughts headed into it, and B, your thoughts on the rest of the men's slate here on day five. Cool. Uh, This one's tough, man. This one is very, very tough. I mean, I think Shapovalov had a tough test in center. It's not really fair to hold him, uh, you know, I guess hostage over that result because center is a phenomenal player. He took care of Tomich with no problem. Um, so he's coming in really good form. FAA on the other hand of this has also looked very, very good, has maturely come through this draw um, and just taking care of business as well. I mean, just straight set wins, no real tight sets. So this one's really hard for me because both of these guys have looked so good. They both know their game super well. I'd say right now, FAA has looked a little bit cleaner overall, but he also hasn't faced the same level of opponent. So it's hard for me. Um, I, I'm expecting a tough match here, but based on the form I've seen, I, I would have to I would have to give an edge to FAA just because he's looked a little bit cleaner. Shapovalov has played, uh, you know, to have that center match under his belt and for him to get all, I thought he looked really, really good at the ATP Cup as well. He's played a lot of tough matches here in February, and I think he is the more match-tough of the two. But you're right. FAA, the first serve is landing right now. The plus-one forehand, he seems fit as a fiddle as well. And, you know, I think he's hungry. Like, I'm sure he's sick of losing to Dennis at these Grand Slams. He's like, it's my time to knock you off once. That being said, I you know— over three and a half sets, that might be my lock of the day. Like, there's no way this match is a straight set match. I definitely think this one goes back and forth. I don't know which way I'm leaning. Probably towards Shapovalov, just given he's the more match-tough of the two right now. But I do think, again, it's a toss-up. It's a pick Either way, uh, it's going to be a very fun match. If you look, again, at the other men's matches on the day, team versus Kyrgios, first career head-to-head. Or I should say, second career head-to-head, first since 2015, first on hard courts. For the two of them, your other ones, Djokovic taking on Fritz, Dimitrov, Kareno Busta. There's an alternative universe where Dimitrov and Kareno Busta have both won Grand Slams because the big four, big three went off into retirement and didn't prolong their uh, primes as long as they did. Instead, it's the number 18 seed Dimitrov taking on a 15 seeded Kareno Busta. You've also got Zverev, Manoreno, Rayonich, Fuchovic, Lajovic versus Pedro Martinez, Portero, and then Karatsev versus Schwartzman. Your take. Give me uh, the one you will be watching most closely outside of Shapovalov FAA. This is tough. This is a really, really Really good slate slate here on day Um, I mean, you're crazy if you don't put Team Kyrgios at the top just because of the potential (laughs) fireworks and and what could happen. Um, You know, I I think squarely at the bottom, you have Lazarevic and Martinez-Portero. No offense, but I mean, just that's that's at the bottom of the list. Sorry, guys. 
Um, I, oh, God, all of these are so good. I think Zverev Manorino is gonna, has the potential to be a lot tighter than people expect. Obviously, Zverev's got the weapons, but Manorino can just stick around. And if Zverev starts getting some of those, you know, pressure, jitters, the I'm expected to win. Also, he looks terrible in the sleeveless like this. You know, this could go this could go south for him. So I, I'm definitely going to want to watch that one. Dimitrov, Karina Busta, two phenomenal hard quarters. Fritz can probably pose some issues for Djokovic. I mean, with his serve, do I expect Djokovic to win soundly still? Yes, but they're all going to be super fun to watch. It, it's hard for me to pick. I mean, I think my next – honestly, my number one overall pick, though, is Team Curious. you got to watch that match. Yeah, I – I mean, it was number two on my list just because I think Shapovalov, FAA, the battle of the next-gen Canadians is just right up our alley here at Cracked Racket. So it was a close, you know, it's 1A, 1B. But yeah, all of these matches on the day, whichever one shows up on your TV screen first, you are a winner. And you can feel the same way about the women's matches because we have some fantastic ones on the day. You know, you've got Osaka Jabour, Faro versus Sviantek, Halep Kudermatova, Sabalenka versus Young Ann Lee, Sue C versus Sarah Irani, Mu- Garutha Diaz, Serena versus Potapova, Vandrusova taking on Kirstea. Jamie, which one are you going to be watching most closely? Um, I think at the top of your list, you've got it exactly right. Osaka Jabor, um, I think, is going to be a very, very fun match. Do I expect Osaka to win? Yes, but I think this, for me, um, a really good test for Naomi Osaka to say, Great okay, test. You know, yeah, it's like, where's change. your level at, right? How, how are we doing here? You know, he's, you've been playing well. Okay, how well? You've got a real challenge in Ons Jabor. So that one, absolutely agree with you. have got to be at the top of the list. I agree with your second one as well, uh, Farrow and Sviantek. I'm really excited to see Sviantek because, look, it's been impressive thus far, the fact that she hasn't just crumbled. Um, but we still don't know what to expect from her. At least I don't, right? And so I'm yeah. very excited to see her continue to play. Um, yeah, Sarah Irani, God, I, how are you still in this tournament? <laughs> um, if you get another round, I will be incredibly surprised. But shout out to you. Good job, man. Not many people yeah. can win matches hitting every serve 60 miles an hour. But you... You do it somehow. I don't know. No, I mean, it's, you know, it takes a special quality of player to be able to toss your ball to the court two courts over and still hit the serve on that point. And that's what Sarah Ronnie does. Um, I mean, yeah, I think all of these matches are exciting. I think Halep, Kudermatova, that's a really fun contrast of styles. Kudermatova going to hit line drive uh, sort of power. Halep's going to try and get her to the outer thirds, try and get her stretched, try and beat her to the spots down the line. The other one that's fascinating to me, Ann Lee has been so, 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 so good. And I cannot emphasize it enough. You look what the young American's been able to accomplish here early in her career. And I mean, it's it's stunning. I mean, considering the fact that what I think she's 19 years old. I got to make sure I'm correct here. I believe it's 19 years old. Yes, the young American, currently number 69 in the rankings, turns 20. Oh, excuse me, 20 years old. But you look at what she's done in her last 52 weeks: 19 and seven overall wins over Jen Brady and Kuder Matova, Alize Cornet, and Shui Zhang. And it's just like if she blitzes through Arena Sabalenka as well. We've got our next big deal. Like, move over Anisimova, move over Coco Golf for a hot sec, make some room for Ann Lee at the table as well. And obviously, Sabalenka, that's about as professional a level of power as you're going to get. That's the top tier. And so I am fascinated to see how she responds. But overall, yes, again, I think it's going to be a really, really exciting day, day five of tennis. My final question for you before we wrap, Jamie, if there's going to be one upset on day five, who's it going to be? Ooh, men's or women's? Yeah, give me both. Mm, okay. Um, that's tough. Um, I guess on the on the women's side, I guess I'd have to go with Bondrusova, um, the 19th seed against Kristea. I, I think there's a chance for her to get upset there. Look, there's always a chance for some of these players to get upset, but but I think that I guess that one is particularly ripe for it, let's say. Um, and, you know, I, I would pick Irani, and I, I'm not sure if she's favored. Surely she's not, but I'm going to pick her to lose regardless. Again, no disrespect. Uh, <laughs> but if she's the favorite, then for sure. Uh, her losing just undoubtedly put me down for it. So that's on the women's side. On the men's side, this is tough. I don't think it's going to be Djokovic. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on Dimitrov versus Karina Busta, if, if that's even an upset. I expect Dimitrov to win, so count it if you want there. Uh, I don't expect Fucevic to be able to, to keep up with the round and serve. Um, I, I, 
Schwartzman maybe on an upset alert. Um, but if I have to say which one of those is the most probable, I would say FAA versus Chapo. But again, do you even count that as an upset? Yeah, that's tough. I would say Karatsev over Schwartzman's major upset alert for me. Ditto, by the way, for Martinez Portero versus the Deuce. Um, I don't think Fucevic, just the dead legs, that's a terrible matchup when you have to play yeah. Milos Raonic. So I think yep. Raonic blitzes through him. Yep. On the women's side, I just like the way Fiona Farrow matches up with everyone. I just think the harder you hit the ball, the more her athleticism shines through. If she doesn't have to produce pace, like if she can just redirect yours, that's exactly what she wants. And I don't think Sviantek has the overwhelming – well, she kind of does actually, but I haven't seen it on a hard court yet the way a Sabalenka can just you know blitz you and hit you off the court. And so I do think this is a good matchup for Fiona Farrow – I think that's the upset alert for me. I think that's the one on the women's side I will be watching most closely. But again, yes, overall, it should be a fantastic day of tennis. And of course, if you want to hear our broader picks, how I'm, you know, what I am finagling all of the math to make a little bit of money, put some money in all of your pockets, be sure to go check out our GSP Ace of the Day segments each and every morning, or I should say each and every night before this play begins. Of course, yesterday was a great day. For the ace of the day, five and three. I think we were up five-ish units overall on the day. Always feel good feeling when we can start the tournament off the right way. And of course, we will keep rolling with that day in, day out throughout the course of this event. And we will be back here tomorrow with another mini break podcast. And again, we are going to be going daily throughout the rest of this Australian Open. Does that mean sometimes I'm going to need Jamie on the ones and twos when I'm gone this weekend in Champagne? Absolutely. But rest assured, we understand it's time for us to pick up our game here at Crack rackets that's exactly what we plan on doing with that in mind jamie any final thoughts on the first four days of this australian open go adrian manorino let's do this thing that's my pep talk (laughs) that is exactly where we should end today's podcast well with that in mind a shout out of course to our friends at midwest sports go to midwestsports.com use that promo code uh, cr15 a shout out as always to the super producers max fliegler and daniel westoff who have a of an editing job to do day in, day out. And remember, if you have missed any of our content, just go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.